We know very well that when Yaakov was going to re-encounter his brother Esav after not having seen him for many years, that it was a very difficult encounter and he had to prepare himself for all eventualities. Now, the way that Rashi describes that is the Torah tells us he split the camp in half and Rashi seems to indicate that he was absolutely confident that that would save at least half of the camp and we need to understand how was he so sure. We also need to understand the three things that he prepared for, which was a gift, prayer, and war, and especially the way that Rashi discusses it. It seems strange what Rashi brings as proofs for those three things, as well as the order in which he presents them, and of course the overarching expression, which is his skin atzmai, which sounds more like he repaired himself rather than prepared himself. So what actually happened over here with the story of the encounter between Yaakov and Esau, what is the preparation for such an encounter? commenting on the Pasuk that says, that Yaakov said, after he said he was going to split the camp into two, he said, if Esav will attack the one and even successfully attack the one camp, then the other camp will be able to escape. Rashi's second commentary on the Pasuk says, he quotes, he quotes the, the words that say, and the second camp or the remaining camp will escape. Well, Perish explains that what that means is al So it's absolute. It's against Esau's will. It's going to happen. That camp will be saved. Why? Because I will fight, says Yaakov, against Esau. And then after that, Rashi goes further to say, that, that Yaakov prepared for three eventualities. We'll discuss that later in the Sicha. First thing we have to understand is what's bothering Rashi over here. What's so surprising? You split the camp. Obviously, the intention is to spare one element of the camp that they should not be attacked. So, why does Rashi have to address it in the first place? The reason is because the truth is the, the Pasuk seems to be self-explanatory if you split your camp into two even if Esau will completely attack and, and God forbid overtake one of the camps the other one will escape so what does Rashi have to explain that's self-evident who, what's bothering Rashi appears to be, Rashi, as certain of the commentators on Rashi point out, it's Mitzadakoshi Bilosh, and pay attention to the language because it does seem to be a bit, to be a bit odd. And it will be that the second camp or the remaining camp will escape. That sounds like it's an absolute, it's a definite statement. It's definitely going to be this way. And to that we have a question. Fine. So Yaakov's strategy is to split his entire family and all of his flock into two groups. That is not an absolute guarantee that one of those camps will be saved. All it does is it increases the chances of one of the camps escaping because now there's a distraction. So Esav, you attack there, we run here. But it's not a guarantee. We don't know what, what Esav's strategy is going to be. Maybe he'll outflank them from both sides. Who knows? So how come it's definite that it will definitely be the way to rescue the other camp? 
Rashi. So the commentaries say that that's why Rashi has to come along and explain that actually what it means that it's definite that this camp will escape is because it will be against Esau's intentions. Unlike some of the other Pashtani Amikra, some of the, the core commentators and even uh, simple, so to speak, commentators on the Torah who say, Vahaya means halavai, you know, perhaps, perhaps that's how it will be. Rashi says, Rashi says, it's absolutely certain that this second camp will be able to escape. How can you be so certain? Because Yaakov says, I'm going to fight tooth and nail for that other camp. And I will not allow Esav to conquer the second camp. So that's the explanation, apparently. Because Yaakov says, I'm going to fight, that's how we know for sure that it's not going to be vanquished. Now, the truth is, it's a beautiful explanation, but, and it appears there in a movement, it's got some problems. Aleph, question number one. How do you know? So, okay, Yaakov is very courageous and he's going to fight tooth and nail against Esau to protect the second camp. But how can, be, how can he be absolutely assured that he'll succeed? Even if Yaakov's intention is that what's going to happen is Yaakov will fight against Esau when Esau attacks the first camp. And during that time, the other camp will be able to escape because while he's engaging Esau, they can get away. It's still not a 100% guarantee that they'll succeed in escaping. All it seems to suggest is once you split the camp into two, then if Yaakov fights against Esav, it creates an opportunity for the other camp to escape. But it doesn't create a guarantee. So we're back to square one. Just because Yaakov fights against Esav, how does he know that the other camp will definitely escape? And the other thing about Rashi, just the language is strange. Mal Pesha al What does it mean over here that the other camp will survive or escape against his will? Why is it relevant for us to know that this is something Esav would not have agreed to? Would have been against his will. Neged against him. Surely the only thing that we're interested in is that if you take this strategy, if Yaakov employs this strategy, he will definitely save one camp of his family. Surely that, that's what we care about. If Esav is angry about it or not, is he relevant to us? So why does Rashi quote it? So the Ramban suggests something different. That Yaakov had a reason to be absolutely assured that at least one camp would escape because because Yaakov knew either from Hashem's guarantees to him or through Nevoah, most likely because Hashem had given him guarantees, he knew that it's impossible for his entire family to fall into the hands of Esau. Says the Ramban, therefore it's guaranteed that at least part of the camp will be saved. So maybe that's how he's absolutely sure. 
That's great according to the Ramban. It's not going to fit with what Rashi is saying. Because if that's what you're going to say, then why is he assured that one camp will survive for a different reason unrelated to this conversation? Rashi says the reason that he's guaranteed that one camp will survive is because he plans to fight. The Ramban says the reason that one camp will survive is because he has a promise that they won't all be vanquished. It's great for the Ramban. It doesn't fit with Rashi. So we're back to square one. How is Rashi absolutely sure that this strategy is a guarantee that the, 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 the family will survive? And why does he dafka say al-korchoi? So maybe you could use the one to answer the other, leverage one question against the other. Perhaps the one answer will, the one question will answer the other, and it will be a bit of a stretch, but perhaps this is the way to go. Because when Rashi uses the expression against his will, that expression is not the expression that tells us that it's guaranteed that part of Yaakov's family will survive. Al-Korchoi is just to describe the method that Yaakov plans to use of how he's going to help his family to escape. How's he going to do it? Against Esau's will. What does it mean to do something against Esau's will? Because he plans to fight. He's actually going to fight back against Esau, which perhaps Esau would not have expected because Yaakov is Ishtom Yoshev Oiholim. He's not the military man. So maybe that's the answer, right? First of all, if it is absolutely against Esav's will, then it's absolute that they will be saved. But the truth is, we have another question that really needs to be addressed, and that is, Where in all of the wording inside the simple meaning of the Psukim does Rashi get evidence to the fact that Yaakov was going to fight, that he was going to war against Esau. Where do you see it in the Pesukim? Perhaps if you go with what we said earlier, that Rashi really wants to highlight how there's certainty in Yaakov's mind. That the one camp will survive. In which case, the, the fact that Rashi says he's going to fight against Esau is just to clarify how he could be so sure. That you could find in the words of the Pasuk. If the whole reason of Elohim, why he's talking about going to war, is to justify how he knows that it would certainly be an escape, we get it. That, there's a word for that in the Pasuk. But if you're going to say that the Elochemimo is to be Baal Korchoi, to prove that it's against Esau, where do you see evidence for that in the Pasuk? But if you go with what we're trying to explain now, really what Rashi seems to be saying is, if you go with the explanation we're trying to use over here, then Rashi's whole point is to say, that he's going to fight against Esau. For which reason the escape of the other camp will be completely against Esau's intentions. We have no evidence for that in the Pasuk. So the first way that we wanted to explain it, which is to say that he's absolutely sure. Why is he absolutely sure that the camp will escape? Because he plans to fight against Esau. That's the one that fits more neatly within the wording of the Pasuk. But then, of course, we have our other questions 
which is how is he absolutely guaranteed and why do we need the words Baal Korchoi? So before we can get into that, let's look at the rest of Rashi, which actually is going to raise more questions for us. In the same head, heading, so it's obviously part of the same conversation, Rashi, Rashi says the following, that Yaakov prepared himself for three things, to give a gift to Esav, or if need be to go to war. And then he proves that Rashi proves each from a Pasuk. How do we know that he gave a gift? Because the Pasuk told us that there was this whole gift that passed in front of Yaakov on the way to Esav. How do we know that he davened? Because he said at a of Avram, he petitioned Hashem, God of his father Avram, grandfather. How do you know that he prepared for war? Because the Pasuk says, this Pasuk that we're analyzing right now, which says that one of the camps will escape. So now this is going to raise a series of questions for us. It doesn't make sense. Number one. Why does Rashi have to tell us all three of the, th- the ways, the methods, the strategies that Yaakov used? Why are they all relevant in this Pasuk? This Pasuk, and the way Rashi is explaining it, that this is where Yaakov plans to fight against Esau. So he has the time to speak about how he prepares for war. And elsewhere you can explain, and he sent a gift, and he davened. The fact that he prepared himself to give a gift and to daven, we already know this. We know it from other psukim that will follow on later. Rashi himself is telling us over here that there are psukim that clearly delineate that he sent a gift and that he davened. So why is it relevant to tell us these things now? We'll get there. We'll get there shortly. We'll read it. Number two, base. If for whatever reason you're going to suggest that here where we're discussing how Yaakov prepared for war, that it's relevant, that for some reason we have to know now, and it's not the only method that Yaakov prepared for. And not only that, in fact, it's not the first uh, approach that Yaakov took. It's probably valuable for us to know that before resorting to war, he first tried to send a gift and he davened. Still. So fine, so you want to tell me that and it's really important information to know that Yaakov's attitude is not simply war, there are alternatives. Why is it relevant in this conversation? In this conversation, we're saying, I'm going to ensure that one camp survives, like it or not, because I'm going to fight. Okay, so you're talking about fighting over here. Give it another Dibra Maschil, or another commentary in this context where he says, and that's not all that he tried. And beyond that, Gimel Yaseirim is way more than that. For whatever reason it is that Rashi decided that he needed to tell us the detail here. We have to know, for whatever reason Rashi feels, we have to know right now that besides preparing for war, Rashi and uh, Yaakov also prepared for gifts and prayer. Even though, as we've already said, why here? We're about to read this information shortly. Still, there's still another question. Okay, fine. So you want to tell me that he also, in addition to preparing for war, also davened and also prepared a gift. So fine. So why do you have to tell me now that he prepared for three things? I already know one of them. You just told me that you planned to battle. He just said that he's going to go to war. 
All Rashi needed to tell us over here is that besides what I've just told you, that he prepared to go to war against Esau, there were two other approaches that he took as well, to daven and to give a gift. This also seems weird, right? So one of the commentators on Rashi says that actually what Rashi intended is that the continuation of his conversation he had, where he says that he prepared himself for three things it's actually support to the way Rashi explains how he knows one camp will escape and survive that it will be against Esau's wishes because I'm going to fight. What's the connection, says the Re'aim? Considering that Chazal teaches us that Yaakov took three approaches. And if you look in the Psukim, there's no outright exclamation of he went to war, prepared for war. Certainly not as clear as the words of the Psukim that tell us he sent a gift and tell us that he davened. Says there aim. So that's the context. The context is we know that Rashi, we know that Yaakov prepared himself for three approaches. We know that one of the approaches was to go to war. We don't see it in the Psukim, so it's relevant for us to discuss that he prepared three ways to confront Asaph, one of which is war, and from that I'll know that Vahoyamachna must be talking about war. Maybe that's the explanation. The only thing is that Rashi does not indicate that this is a Maimer Chazal, that it's got a source as it happens in the Medrash. To the contrary, just read Rashi at face value. What's he saying? That once you know what I've told you, that he plans to fight against Esau. From that I know that he prepared for three things. So it's almost the opposite of what the aim is saying, right? That it's not because we know there's a Maimah Chazal that says he prepared for three things. And I don't see where in the Torah it tells me about war. Therefore, I have to associate it with Rashi doesn't seem to be saying that. Rashi says it's clear that he's going to war. Now that you know that, you have to know he prepared for three things. And we need to understand, how, how does that work? How do you know? And while we're talking about it, there are a few other questions. Let's analyze the way that Rashi describes the three strategies that Yaakov undertook. Because they also seem to have a series of questions. Number one, question one, Look at the order in which Rashi presents the three options that Yaakov had on the table. First a gift. Then davening. And lastly, war. That's who That's exact opposite order of the Psukim that Rashi himself is about to quote as proof to what he's trying to say. Because what does he quote? The Pasuk he brings as evidence to the fact that, Ra- that Yaakov is going to send a gift actually comes later in the story after he davened. And that pasuk about davening comes immediately after the pasuk of war. Why does Rashi present these three strategies in an order that is completely different to the order in which the psukim themselves present them? Now that's not accidental. There has to be a reason. We've got to work out what that reason is. 
Secondly, base the medrash matzinu. If you look at the original medrash, malvad orayas min aksuvim shevi Rashi bifirusha. Can all in addition to what Rashi is quoted over here, how we know from the psukim that these are the three methods that Yaakov seek, uh, sought to employ. The medrash brings rayas miksuvim noisafim. The medrash quotes other psukim that validate the same three strategies. Tvilo, how do we know that he davened? Because he said Hatzileni nomi yad ochi, which is very clearly davening about this particular context. Please save me from my brother. Ledoira, and the fact that there's a gift, because the pasuk says Ve'amarta li'avdecho li'yakov mincho hi shlucho. He told the malachim to tell Esav that this is a gift from your brother Yaakov. That's pretty clear. Lemilchame. And how do you know for war? Says the Medrash Vayosim Asashvachis for Goimer that he actually split the family in a very particular way, and then who Ovarlif named Goimer he preceded them. In other words, he led the the uh, the movement towards Ace towards Asa. Of a Mokim Achav Midrashim Atzinurai LeDoren, and in fact, if you look at other Midrashim, you'll find other Pesukim. Which is quite a clear pasuk that he sent a gift. And other clear evidence to the fact that he prepared for war by splitting the community. So the fees which makes us wonder about Rashi, it really doesn't seem to make sense whichever angle you look at it from. Because if Rashi wanted to bring us psukim that show not only that Rashi, that Yaakov intended to behave in a certain way, but he actually did it, he actually sent a gift, he actually davened, and he actually prepared for war. Rather than bringing psukim that just show that he was moving in that direction and preparing for those three strategies. And a great proof of that would have been his first raya, his first proof about the gift, where he quotes, that the actual delegation of gifts passed in front of Yaakov, that means it was happening for real. So that would make sense that what Rashi should be doing, bring us psukim that he actually did these things for real. Look, he actually actually sent the gifts. He didn't just plan to do so. The logical reason why Rashi would have chosen that Pasuk about the gift and not earlier Pasukim. For example, that he selected various things to prepare a gift for Esav or others because those are all that's all the prep. Getting the gift ready to go. Why did he choose this Pasuk? This is a great pasuk to say the mincha actually got on its way. The delegation headed out to Esav, actually getting ready to present the tribute. So that's logical, right? Use psukim that tell us he actually did it. Using that logic, then logically, the kind of pasuk that, Yaakov, that Rashi should have brought to show us that Yaakov davened should have been a pasuk where he actually davens. And the pasuk that Rashi should have brought to prove that Yaakov goes to war should have been a pasuk where he actually goes to war. So the better pasuk for davening would have been ha-pasuk hatzileni nomi adachimi ad esav where you actually see the words of the prayer that he said to Hashem. Of Nagela Milchama and the appropriate pasuk about how he actually prepared for war would have been that he actually prepared the people for a confrontation or kapirish Rashi Sham as Rashi himself explains on that pasuk. That he put himself first because if there was going to be a war he wanted to be the first the first in line the first the first on the battlefield. 
And so he, he should not have quoted the beginning of the Pasuk, which is the intro to the davening, the first words of the davening, the K of Yavram. Or the pasuk that says, and I, and I will make sure that one of the camps, if he attacks, will be able to escape. That's the practical things. So it doesn't really make sense. Rashi seems to mix and match over here. You bring a pasuk for the mincha, which is where it's actually happening, but the other two, you bring a pasuk where he's just planning for it or preparing for it. And on the other hand, then you say, well, look, the majority of cases Rashi brought psukim that speak about the preparation for rather than the action of the davening and the war. And that would fit with the expression which says he prepared himself for three things. So you should have done the same thing for the gift. You should have used a pasuk where he prepared the gift, not the pasuk where he sends the gift. So Rashi seems to have mixed metaphors over here. Does he want to describe how his skin he prepared himself for certain things? Or does he want to describe how it happened in practice? Question three, Gimel. Seeing as Rashi has already interpreted that the meaning of one camp will escape means I will go to war against Esau. So why then does Rashi have to again repeat in the same conversation the same Pasuk as a proof that Yaakov prepared for war? You already told me that in this Pasuk, in this conversation. Why are you repeating yourself? And lastly, Dalet Mahu Diu Kalosh and Hiskin, why the expression his skin, which again sounds more like repair than prepare himself for these three things. So to understand everything that's going on over here, we actually have to look differently at this process of how ordinarily a person might daven in a situation or prepare for a confrontation versus Yaakov's unique situation and how he deals with it. When you read the flow of the whole story, you'll notice something really important. When Yaakov's messengers returned and they told him that Esau is coming with 400 armed guerrillas to confront you, that's when, Rashi, when Yaakov's first reaction is, we need to prepare for war. They're coming armed to the teeth. So then, then he splits the camp and he says, if Esau will attack this one, that one will escape. That's a pragmatic response because now there's a war coming your way. Then he gomer. The words of the davening, Hashem, help me out. And then he had the luxury of being able to prepare a nice gift to send to Esau that would hopefully placate him. Now, as much as that makes logical sense, it does raise a question for us. How does a Jew behave? It's obvious. If a Jew hears that somebody plans to attack him, is it not the first response to Davin? And once you have davened to Hashem, then you prepare in a pragmatic way. Okay, now that I've davened and I have Hashem's blessing for success, now I can see, do I have to go to war? Do I have to send a gift, etc.? 
So how is it possible to suggest? You're not talking about a pleb. You're talking about Yaakov Avinu, the ultimate. That he first prepared for war and only after that stopped to Davin? Doesn't make any sense. Unless, of course, you have to acknowledge whether you like it or not, that Yaakov did not behave in a way that is different to the classical Jewish approach, and we'll explain how. So therefore, These words, where the Torah tells us how Yaakov split the camp into two and said, if Esau attacks them, they will escape because I'm going to fight, etc. All of that is actually the preface to his davening and his unique situation of davening. What does that mean? Initially, Yaakov sent messengers to Esau just to find out what's going on. What kind of an attitude is he? Is he going to have? So they come back and they tell him, "It's bad news. He's coming, guns blazing." Says the Torah, Yaakov was afraid, very afraid. And because he was afraid, that's why he split the the, the camp into two. Because until he splits the camp, it actually would not make sense to Daman, particularly in the way that he does Daman. But then the next day, the next day he actually sees Esav coming with these 400 men. Then he splits the children and the mothers. Now, we always imagine that it's one split. He splits the camp. It's not that simple. There's a splitting of the camp, and then there's a splitting of the family, and they're different. And we're going to see why. Kloima means to say, There are two different vayachats that are happening. There's the division of the Am, the general group that Yaakov had with him, and the specific split of his family. Keposhet. And it's quite obvious. You'll see why it's obvious. Because the first description is how he split the general group and the animals. Whereas the later expression is that he only split the women and the children. And also, very interesting observation, the original division was into two camps. And the second division was not into two camps. Now, most people don't catch this when they learn the story. Most people think that Yaakov had a strategy to split everybody in half, and hopefully half of them will survive, which always should have a question in your mind. What, so he was hoping that half of his children would survive? That's how he thinks. So now we realize that something else is happening over here. There's a split that happens with the um, the general crowd and the animals, and then there's a split that happens that affects the, the mothers and children. And once, once we understand the nature of those two splits... Everything makes a lot more sense. Initially, he says, I'm splitting everybody into two groups, with the intention, as the Pesach says clearly, should Esav attack this group, that group will survive. Now, we have to understand who's in this group and who's in that group, because it will make a material difference to our understanding of the whole story. What follows later is that he split the families by mothers. 
And then he put them into an order, like a, you know, a, a way that they would present themselves. But they're all in one camp and nobody catches this. But didn't you just split everybody into two camps? How come now they're all together? Just lining up to go greet Asaph. What's happening? Like the Pasuk is going to tell us very clearly, Esav looked up and he saw all the kids and all the mothers. All who were described in the preceding Pasuk about how he ordered them, first the Shvachos, then Leah, then Rochel, and their children. And look, there are no two camps over here where one of them could escape if Esav will attack the other. So what happened to the great strategy of splitting in order to save them? This is what Rashi is telling us. The intention of the Pasuk that says the other camp will definitely survive. Is why? Because Yaakov says, like it or not, Esav, I will fight every, every one of you for that other camp. Not only will I fight you, but Esav, whether you like it or not, you will be unable to harm that other camp. Let's understand what's happening here. Who are these camps? The initial step that Yaakov took to split everybody into two groups. The one camp was the camp of assets, animals. And whoever was responsible to care for those assets. That's camp number one. The remaining camp is his immediate family and whoever was necessary to look after the family. And that is clearly expressed in the Pasuk later on when it says when, uh, when Yaakov went across this Yaboik stream the Torah tells us he crossed over the Yaboik stream twice. Why? Because he's moving two different camps that have been separated. The camp of assets and the camp of family. Only after Yaakov has made that split and distinction, then he could daven on the back of the promises Hashem had given him. That's why he's so absolutely convinced that the second camp will survive and escape because they were promised to him by Hashem that they'd be fine. As opposed to all of his assets that are in the first camp, nobody promised him that all these animals will survive. And in order to illustrate to us how Yaakov could be so absolutely sure that that second camp, which is his family and their attendants, would be safe, Rashi explains that's because of the three-step program that Yaakov took. Not just because there are three steps to the process, but as we'll see later in the Sicha, because each of those three steps required Hiskinatsmoy. As we'll see, that has a very specific meaning. So what do we know so far? We know something amazing. That his first step is, let's get 
let's make a distinction over here between things that I own and who's in my family. My family is guaranteed by Hashem to survive. So let's split. Let Esav attack the things that I own because there are no guarantees that that's necessarily going to remain mine. But my family, they certainly will survive because they have Hashem's brocha. Now to understand that better, Rashi tells us the three steps to the process and each of them requires tikkun. The most re- normal way to say that a person prepares themselves would be a lashon like heichin. Prepare yourself. Whereas Rashi here uses the word his skin. Rashi has chosen that word very uh, specifically because it will illustrate something really important. Heichin mashmooki pshuti. If I say heichin, it's very simple. Sheodam miskoinen lasias biulo misuyemes. It means so and so prepares in a particular way to do a particular thing. Vehadovi yocholios bein alidayachonu b'maisa befoil. Ovein alidayachonu benefesh lasias tapiula. Maybe the way to prepare is by doing certain physical activities. Maybe the way to prepare is to get your head right. Or to daven, or other things that will prepare you so that you're in the right headspace to be able to do what you have to do. That's the implication of the word hachana. Rashi uses a different word over here. Ulam his skin tikun. Rashi uses the word his skin from the word tikun, which means to fix, to alter, to shift, to repair. That's not ordinary preparation. This is specifying for us what type of preparation was required. What kind of preparation? It's the kind of preparation where the person has to fix himself. Fix yourself means that you make yourself ready for something perhaps you were not previously ready for. It's a shift rather than a preparation. So you're going to serve breakfast. You You prepare breakfast. You're going to have a difficult conversation with somebody where you have to really be empathetic. You have to be his skin. You've got to shift yourself. Same, same thing with Yaakov. The way in which he prepared to daven, to give a gift, to go to war. Each one of them pushed him beyond the norm. Look what Rashi says. When it comes to the war, what does Rashi say? That his own personal headspace, Yaakov's, was he's afraid. So he has to prepare himself for war because his natural response is to flee. He's afraid. Maybe something is lacking in his service of Hashem and he doesn't necessarily deserve to win the war. With regards to giving a gift, Rashi tells us, He was resentful of the fact that he had to do all of these things. So, do you want to give a gift when you're feeling resentment to the person? He worked on himself. And with regards to davening, similar to the war, but perhaps even more so, He was afraid. Maybe I have somehow tainted myself through a virus, and I don't deserve Hashem to answer my davening. He worked on himself to have confidence and faith in Hashem to be able to daven. And not only that, Rav Hoisif Bitfilase, not only did he daven for the emergency needs, but he said beyond that, Heitev, Heitev, you, Hashem told me that you do good to me, double-fold good, Heitev Bishchuscha, Heitev Bishchusavisecha, good in my merit, good in the merit of my forebears. The key over here is that Yaakov is working on himself. He's pushing against the current. 
That's why Rashi picked the specific psukim that he did to prove these three steps. Not because he wanted to use other psukim that would tell us what what um, Yaakov did in practice or alternatively what Yaakov was planning to do, he mixes and matches because the goal of he has to show us how much Yaakov worked on himself to do this right. These proofs do not describe the practicality of preparing for war, for davening, for gift. That he prepared. These psukim will each show us how he pushed himself beyond himself. Ledoyron, how do you see he pushed himself beyond with regards to a gift? Because Vatavra Minchal Ponov, the Mincha passed in front of him, meaning move on the fact that Rashi doesn't just say that the Mincha went on its way but Dafka Al Ponov in front of his face Rashi chose to include that because it's relevant because Mikosov Zelob this teaches us Al Ponov no matter what his face looked like he was resentful of the fact that he had to do all of this that's Ponov even in, in modern Hebrew you'll say Al Ponov it's like kind of like you know, so to speak, in spite of you, still he sent it. What's the raya with the proof that he brings for davening? God of my forefather Avram. That invokes the promise that Hashem had made to the Avos that he would be protected. And therefore, in spite of his doubts, because maybe he is tarnished through Averis, he knows that he could trust. What's the proof Rashi brings? Our Pasuk that says, and the other camp will survive. Why did Yaakov prepare himself for war? Even though we already said he was afraid. Who? Why did he do it? Because he's got a guarantee that his camp will survive. In spite of his personal fears, he has to put that aside and have absolute trust that Hashem's guarantees will come true and that part of the, of the family, or that part of the camp, which is his family, will survive. Why does Rashi add the war as the third of the strategies? Because that was the most difficult for Yaakov to prepare. It's like a, a growing scale of working on himself. To rid himself of that natural fear of war, which was not just that he'll be killed, but he was afraid that he might have to kill somebody else. And that's a real fear for a tzaddik. And he worked to get over that, which is a huge achievement for somebody. Therefore, it's mentioned last. It's kind of like gradually raising in, in achievement. But there's still one question. Why does Rashi first address his attitude to give a gift before davening? Surely, look at the story. He davened first and then prepared the gift. Why does Rashi switch the order? So the Habirbo's explanation for that is Obviously, practically, Yaakov only sent the gift after he had davened. But the intention behind the gift, which was to find favor in Esav's eyes, 
That's actually the first thing that Yaakov wanted to do. Why? Because the very first thing was he sent messengers to Esav to make contact, to try and connect with him, and of course to try and 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 uh, you know calm him a little bit. Obviously, in a time of crisis, the very first response is to daven and ask Hashem for supernatural help. But what you'll find about Yaakov is that Rashi, Rashi tells us Yaakov had an, an interesting way about speaking about his brother. Rashi says, Are you so oimer? The Malachan came back to him and said, You always used to say, Not that you said. You always used to say. He always used to speak about Achihu, that Esav is his brother. After everything that had happened, he still consistently saw brother in Esav. But Yaakov wanted to achieve a relationship where it wasn't just biological, we're brothers. He wanted his brother Esav to look at him with grace. That's why the very first step that he took was sent messengers to try and find favor in Esav's eyes. Tell Esav, I'm good with him. I'm looking for his love. Which means at that point it wasn't yet a crisis, so there's no reason to daven. In Yaakov's mind, Esav will be amenable. Let's just reach out to him. He's got some good inside of him. Let's stimulate the good. But when those messengers come back for super loy and they say, forget about it. Esav is not acting like a brother. It's Esav the belligerent. Esav the aggressive. Esav the wicked. Then it's a crisis. And Now Yaakov starts a daven. And after his daven, then he sends the gift because that's also a practical way to hopefully still uh, ameliorate Esav's hatred. So we've got great answers now. We understand why Rashi has brought the particular psukim that he has and we understand why he, he's spoken about the two different camps and how he's guaranteed that the one camp will absolutely survive. And we understand why his skin atzmoy Still one question. Why does Rashi have to tell us before he tells us how many things he's going to tell us? He prepared himself for three things. These are the three things. Okay, so don't tell me how many. I can count to three. Just tell me. He could have simply said, He could have just said, He prepared himself to give a gift to Daman and to go to war. As the Gemara often asks, why is the number relevant? Why is three relevant to the conversation? For which the explanation is this. Even after Yaakov got the really disappointing news that Esav is not interested in being a brother and he is the wicked Esav who wants to go to war against you, what happened to Yaakov was very unique. He now had three options simultaneously. Usually a person who has to deal with very different things will have to deal with them at different times. Yaakov now has to confront three completely diverse approaches simultaneously. Mitzad Esav, if he looks at the whole story from Esav's perspective, maybe the gift will do the trick and that will diffuse the situation. 
And why why think that? Because remember that the, one of the reasons Yaakov's headed back home is because he got a message from his mother, it's safe. Because if you think about it, it's really strange. If it's true, as the parish was telling us that Esav still hates Yaakov, why would Rivka have invited him home? Rivka was the one who was most concerned about what Esav might do to Yaakov and suggested that he leave in the first place. Why would she invite him back if there's still a risk? That actually indicates Rivka knew her children really well. So, yes, Esav is still belligerent. But Chamas Esav Botlo, the extent of his anger has subsided. Which is why Rivka's greatest fear of losing both sons on the same day is now no longer relevant. Because yes, he's angry, but there's a way to calm his anger. That's the one option. One option is if my mother told me it's good to come back, then he's not seething with anger. Maybe the, the gift is the way to go. That will settle him. That's from Esau's perspective. From Yaakov's perspective, where he has concerns. Maybe I haven't served Hashem as well as I should have, and therefore I don't deserve miracles. Then even a little bit of anger and hatred from Esau is enough to put me in danger because I don't have some kind of special protection. Like, for example, we have precedent in the story of Lloyd. Because he made the mistake of deciding to settle in Sodom, he became vulnerable to be taken hostage during the Great War of Sodom. So Yaakov's worried. Maybe I'm susceptible. So, therefore, from Yaakov's perspective, the gift is good for Esau. The tefillah is needed for me. I need to daven that Hashem should protect me. Now, you could daven for Hashem to help you, but there's two ways Hashem could help you. One way is that Hashem helps you as Yaakov had previously experienced from Lavan, which is that Debesha steps into the field and Lavan steps back. Or, could be that Hashem will help you once you help yourself. So if you go to war, Hashem says, I'll make you victorious. Like to rescue Lot, where Avram Avinu had to go to war, even though it was a miraculous war, with only one man at his side, Eliezer, and against his mighty armies. So from that perspective, that's why Yaakov had to also prepare for war. So he's got three things going in his head at the same time. From Esau's perspective, the gift might do it. From my perspective, I need to dive in. If I'm going to dive in, the way Hashem is going to help me might require a war. So I've got to do them all. So therefore, now when you take a deeper look at the story, according to Hasidus, you could actually conclude that Yaakov prepared for all three diverse options all at once. Which is another reason why Hiskin, he had to work on himself. The concept of preparing yourself for three totally different missions at once is completely unnatural. For that, you've got to really work on yourself. Because look at it. Each of these three avenues is a completely different headspace. If you give somebody a gift, what channel are you on? 
the kindness channel, the goodness channel, the outreach channel. If you're preparing to go to war, which channel are you on? The aggression channel, the distance channel. I don't want to have anything to do with you. If I have to do something with you, then it's going to be, it's going to be a conflict. Now, when you're talking about a gift or a war, it's human-to-human experience. Whereas davening is you're approaching Hashem for mercy. Totally different direction. So how can you run in these three directions? Approach with kindness, but be ready to fight and speak to Hashem all at the same time. To be able to accommodate all three of these different channels simultaneously is not within the scope of human nature. Even the neshama in its holy nature is incapable of this. Because even in Kedusha, where every single attribute of uh, spirituality, of holiness, also has its place. Chesed has its place, Gvura has its place. And the Yaakov therefore needed to totally shift himself, not just a part of himself, not just an attitude, not just an, a belief, but he had to challenge everything about his nature in order to do what was required of him at that particular time. That also needs to be explained. Why was this kind of demand made of Yaakov that he should be able to accommodate and tolerate three different directions simultaneously? It's a beautiful explanation that the Rebbe is going to give. That it's basically, if you gang up on the enemy, you'll overcome the enemy better. So Hasidus explains the idea of why they had to wait for all the shepherds to come to remove the rock from the well in order to give water to their animals. So Hasidus explains it based on a a, a marshal from a physical war. That if a person takes three battalions of their army against a single battalion of the enemy, then you're definitely going to win the war. And then you take that concentrated group of people and you attack the next battalion and the next. So you're always overwhelmed with a show of force. That's in Gashmas, the same thing applies in our service of Hashem. If you really want to overcome that singular enemy we have in our lives, which is our Yetzirah, evil inclination, for that you need all three channels of holiness. Love of Hashem, fear of Hashem, and compassion from Hashem. All of that, against one single trait of Klippa, and that's the only way you'll be able to overcome. And that Hasidus explains is what means by all the shepherds coming together to confront the one big stone, that it's the compendium of all the different channels of how the Neshama operates. Love of Hashem, fear of Hashem, com- uh, arousing Hashem's compassion. And re- when you concentrate all three of them in a particular direction to overcome a particular temptation or obstacle, you'll overcome. That's how it is in the individual fighting the individual Yetzirah. The same th- uh, theorem applies to the entire Jewish people across the whole of our Golos trying to change the world. There are various 
general stages of Golos. Golos Yishmoel, for example, the, the time under the jurisdiction of the nation of Yishmoel, the Golos Edom, Esav, the longest Golos of all, which is under the descendants of Esav. Needless to say, every kind of Golos has its unique challenge and therefore its unique strategy. Yishmoel is chesed de Yishmoel is this unbridled, unhealthy, toxic tolerance, kindness, and acceptance of everything that goes. So it has to be dealt with in a particular way, usually considered through gevura, through clear boundaries. Ace of gevura de klipa, ace of which is the, the aggression of klipa, conquest and dictatorial uh, regimes, which has to be mitigated with chesed de but there's one method that is guaranteed to see us through every Golos and not only to survive it, but to overcome it. It's the focused concentration of all three channels, all in one direction. Seeing as we know that everything that's going to happen to us in our lives is first indicated in the stories of our forefathers. So we're going to discover that Yaakov Avinu is, so to speak, the pinnacle of all the Avos. You'll find that Yaakov concentrates all three directions of Kedusha in both types of Golos that he experienced. What are two types of goddess that he experienced? In preparation for the fact that Yaakov was going to spend time in Lavan's house, which is the precursor to Golis Bavel. That's where you have this concentration of energy at the time of the well, which is described in Hasidus as the concentration of the energy of Kedusha against Klippa. Likewise, when he confronts Esav, which of course represents the whole of Golos Edom, same thing, he focuses on three things simultaneously. He goes through all three phases, the kindness of a gift, the Gvura strength of preparation for war, and the compassion element of asking for davening, of davening for help. And that teaches us a, a really good lesson for ourselves. There's a direct lesson for us. Every one of us has this responsibility and when we confront our responsibility which is to rescue our fellow Jews from being educated with the value system of Esau. Don't rely on the fact that I have a particular nature and I'll use my particular nature in order to be able to help people to be able to get out of their, their particular challenge. I'll use the way that I'm used to of how I serve Hashem. Like Yaakov had already worked to completely shift himself, so do we have to do the same. As long as a person operates using just a simple logical approach, identifying the particular attribute of Esav and looking for a way logically to combat it, there's no guarantees that you will succeed to overcome Esav. And there's no guarantee that you'll save who needs to be rescued from Esav's hands. Like Yaakov wants to rescue Amacha Neanisha Lifleta to guarantee that these people will survive. 
Dafka Specifically, when a person is willing to throw all logic to the wind and just go flat out to do what has to be done. In a way that is even against your own will, not just against Aesop's will. And bringing every element of strength that you have together into a focused attack. His skin to work on yourself. Then you're successful, and then you overcome Esau. And then we get to the fulfillment of the promise. That the saviors will come, and they'll judge the, the, the mountain of Esau, and Hashem will become acknowledged as king of the whole world, which will happen in the coming of Mashiach, may it happen immediately.